Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Well, we are honored to have our very first guest speaker in the building this morning, and that is Sammy Wanyoni. Uh, some of you know Sammy. Sammy is an old friend of mine. We actually went to seminary together uh, back in the day. And uh, many of you have traveled uh, across the ocean to Eastern Africa, to Rwanda, to work with Sammy on many of the mission trips that we do. If you don't know Sammy, uh, Sammy is an international evangelist. He has spoken literally in front of millions of people, uh, and Sammy has helped lead a quarter of a million people to a relationship with Jesus. That's a lot, in case you were wondering. And so we are so honored and excited to have him here at our church this morning talking about God's word and sharing the gospel as well. So that is such an honor for us. One of the things I want to tell you that Sammy's doing right now is not only is he bringing the gospel to the nations, but even here locally. So we'll throw it up on the screen for you. Sammy uh, has an initiative uh, called Merge. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there are, there are over a million people in our metro area that are essentially first and second generation immigrants who represent the nations. And 90% of these people don't know Christ. And so Sammy really has a heart and a burden for them to come to Christ as well here. You know, the, the, Minnesota is incredibly diverse. We want to reach all people for the Gospels. And so Merge is an initiative to reach the people of the nations here. And they're doing a lot over this year, uh, particularly uh, a week in September. There's going to be a massive outreach uh, that I, we would love for you to invite people to do and be a part of. We'll be doing a lot of evangelism. And so we'll kind of keep you updated with some of the details of that as well. So, and as always, you can follow them on social media uh, or you stop by the table in the lobby and get more information as well. But at this time, uh, we're going to invite up our friend, uh, Sammy, to come and uh, present the Word of God to us. And let's just uh, a clap as we welcome him uh, to the stage. Thank you, David. Yeah, it's, um, it's a great joy for, for us to be here and even for the invitation to our team to uh, share a little bit about margin. So I encourage you really to stop by the back. Uh, if you're wondering how can I make a difference in the city, uh, in what God is doing right here, you know, you can stop right at our table and we would love to talk with you even more. And one of the ways you can do that is to begin to pray, uh, to pray for your neighbors, for your friends, for the people all around you, because really God's passion is for everybody to come to know him as Savior. And I just want to congratulate you for this amazing building facility here uh, as a center for ministry, really, to the city here and to our entire metro area and to the world, as uh, many of you have traveled with us, uh, taking the good news of Jesus to the nation. So uh, I, I just want to say clap for yourself. It's amazing to have this facility, right? Amen. Amen. Congratulations. Congratulations. I want to share with us today uh, from the book of uh, John, the fourth chapter. And I'm going to read from verse 1 here through verse 7. It's, uh, rather, from verse 3 uh, to verse 7 here, it says, So Jesus left Judea. And, and you know, you can take your Bible. It's under your, your, your chair there uh, and follow along. Uh, it's a long story here, so I'm just going to take snippets out of it. Uh, so that we can engage together in what God is doing, all right? Uh, so in verse 4, it's, or rather verse 3, it says, So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired. As he was from the journey, sat down by the well. 
It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said, You, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus said, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up in eternal life. Notice that Jesus, as he is living, um, you know, uh, as, as he leaves uh, Judea to go to Galilee, the scriptures tell us that he had to pass through Samaria. And when you look at the entire context, you recognize that Jesus was not obliged to go through Samaria because that was the only way. In fact, many times, a lot of people, a lot of the Jews, when they will go to Judea or to, uh, to Galilee, they avoided going through Samaria. It was not the only way to go through, uh, to, go th- to go to the other side, uh, to go into the other region. And therefore, the compulsion here, or the point here, is that Jesus had to go through Samaria because there was something important that needed to happen in that city, in that region of, uh, of, of Samaria. Jesus had a very special mission that he was going to accomplish in this region of Samaria on this day. He had to go through Samaria. Jesus was being compelled by love to go through Samaria. Jesus was being inspired by the Holy Spirit to go through Samaria. Jesus had a specific mission that he was going to accomplish in this region of Samaria. There was a life there that needed to be restored, that needed to be repaired, that needed to be mended. And so he felt a sense of compulsion to go through Samaria. He had a mission to accomplish. Now, once he got into Samaria, the Bible tells us that he went and sat by a well. It was around noonday, so lunch hour. He was hungry, he was tired, and his disciples left to go get some lunch. He sat by this well and waited. You see, he was being led by the Spirit of God. He was the Messiah. He knew exactly why he was there. And he waited in the right spot because God was on a mission through him. And as Jesus is sitting here at the sixth hour, noonday, you see in the Jewish uh, tradition, they counted time from six in the morning is the first hour. And so noon is the sixth hour. He's sitting here at the sixth hour because there is a great mission ahead of him. We are told that at this moment, a woman came to the well. 
what we now refer to, who we now refer to as the Samaritan woman. The woman came to the well at noon. Now, this was something odd. Coming to the well at a sixth hour was not normal for the women in this region of the world. Most of those women that were respectable, that were considered hardworking, that were marriage material, if you may put it that way, they came to the well in the morning. They woke up in the morning and the first thing they did, they went to the well to get water. So that they can make breakfast, they can uh, wash their kids, they can do all kinds of chores in their houses. That was the tradition in those days. And so for this woman to come to the well at noon, there was something definitely not right about her life. And she comes at noon alone in a community that valued groups where women would go to fetch water in groups. You see, I grew up in Africa, as you've had, and in my village, we didn't have running water, so we had to go fetch water. And most of the times, the drinking water, you know, our moms, our sisters will go fetch it in a, uh, in, in a, in a fresh spring somewhere. I remember in our particular case, they had to go two miles to get the fresh water that we could drink. And often they went together in groups. They didn't go by themselves. It is unusual for that to happen. And so they go to fetch the water by the spring in groups. And it was similar in this culture where this Samaritan woman lived. When the women went to get the water, they went together. Then they can have, you know, the light chat along the way and friendship. It's not just fetching water. It is a social event where they go and as they go to get the water, there is that connection that happens. Relationships are built. And as a community, they thrive together. But on this day, this woman and I believe it was her her normal way of operating, she comes to draw water at noon after everybody else has left. Why? Because she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to be with the rest of them. Because technically I think they had counseled her, what we may refer to as the council culture today. In that time, in her culture, she had been counseled, right? They didn't want to relate with her. And as we find out, as Jesus engages with her, for one, she had many broken relationships. She had been through five husbands. Five husbands. Obviously, she didn't have any problem drawing or attracting relationships. That was not a problem. Obviously, you know, from a physical attraction standpoint, she was probably a very attractive lady. That's why five men will be drawn even after she has been through several of them. And so she was endowed with several giftings in life, but at the same time, there is great brokenness that she is experiencing. And as a result, she's an outcast. As a result, People don't want to relate with her. As a result, she is by herself. As a result, she's lonely. She's socially isolated. And so she comes to the well at noon. When it's the hardest time, there is a contradiction here. 
that somebody who is so attractive could be at the same time so socially isolated that she is all alone coming to get water at an odd hour. The Bible makes several references to the sixth hour when you read the scriptures, especially when it comes to the crucifixion of Jesus, this being the Advent season. We find that, you know, uh, Jesus was crucified on the third hour, around nine in the morning. And then at noontime, we are told that on the, at the sixth hour, there was great darkness that enveloped the whole land at the sixth hour. The sixth hour should be the hour when there is the greatest sunlight. But on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, it was the hour when there was greatest darkness. And for this woman at the sixth hour, when there should be the greatest light and, you know, she should be thriving, given all the gifts that God endured in her, her life was broken. Her life was lonely. Her life was that of constant thirst. She's being beaten by the sun when she could have been sitting under her canopy in her house, in her home. Here she was, having gone through five husbands, and now she's living with a sixth man, and he also is not even her husband. She's broken. Her relationships have all ended in the wrong places, wrong spaces. It is a season of great contradiction and great pain. She had been counseled by her fellow women. They, they, don't, they don't go with her. They don't associate with her. I can imagine they will be sitting and then they see her leave her, her apartment and they say, oh, there she goes. There goes that lady. There goes that woman that no husband wants to keep. There goes the shamed one. And I can imagine her walking, headed to this well all by herself. And having that awareness that all the eyes are looking at her. It is a moment of great isolation and great pain. And even the man she was living with at the moment, he had technically counseled her. He couldn't give her the, the, the safety and the security that the rest of the women had. The security of marriage in that moment and in that season. And so she is living with him. But they are not married. She has no right to anything. And as, he, as she comes to the well, she, she notices this Jewish man sitting by the well. Jesus. Of course, you know, Jesus, I, I can imagine he was muscular and well-built. And, you know, after being a carpenter, I can imagine his muscles were pretty good, right? He was probably, you know, it was the equivalent of CrossFit today. Had a good workout. So he's muscular, handsome guy. And, and somehow Jesus looks up to her, and I can imagine in her mind, you know, what is going on. And Jesus says, could you give me some water? And she's shocked. What will this Jewish man be doing asking me for water? Is he out to counsel me as well? Is he out to tell me how terrible I am? 
After all, the Jews didn't relate well with the Samaritans. They looked down upon them. You know, in, in the order of the day, we had the Jewish male, you know, up there. Then there was the Jewish female. Then the Jewish boy. No, no, the Jewish male, the Jewish boy, the Jewish female, the Jewish, uh, or rather, woman. Then the Jewish young girl. Then you had the Samaritan man and Samaritan boys and, you know, Samaritan women. And then down there. And how she was probably at, ver- at the very bottom of the totem pole, right? Despised by all. So it's a huge contradiction to see this man that is at the very top of society sitting there waiting for her and then asking her for something. But it's Jesus, his way of operating. He goes an extra mile to engage with her. To invite her into communication, into communion. You see, he's out to change her hour of disappointment into an appointment with God. He's out out to change the trajectory of her life from brokenness to being mended again. Because God had made her with a very special call on her life. Yes, the rest of the world had counted her out. The rest of the world had broken her, had beaten her, had counseled her. But God was out to give her a new identity and a new restoration. So the questions were resting through her mind, I can imagine, having been counseled by the ladies of the, of the, of the town, having been counseled by Five husbands and now her sixth man. Would Jesus equally counsel her? Would Jesus equally break her? But here Jesus speaks to her. He offers her living water. He says, you know what? Yes, I'm asking you for some water. Because I see that you carry value. You're important to me. I see that you have something special and unique in you. And yes, I want to engage with you in conversation. I want to restore you. And so as he offers living water, you know, as as he asks her to draw some water for him, he is drawing out eternal life for her as well in the same moment. And saying, you know what? I want to mend your way. I want to heal you. I want to restore you. I want to heal your broken heart and give you eternal life. In Jesus' engagement with her, he offers her three restorations. One, Jesus offers her relationship with God. She was in a confused state of mind. She said, you know what? You Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. Our ancestors said we want to worship. We got to worship in on this mountain. Who is right? And Jesus speaks back to her. He says, "You know what? It is not Jerusalem or this mountain. It is not renovation or Eagle Brook. It's not Buddhism or Hinduism. It is relationship with God the Father." It is not Baptist against Pentecostals. It is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. 
And so he offers her relationship that is inspired and empowered by the Spirit. He says, a day is coming, and that hour has indeed come when true worshipers of God will worship not in the flesh, not in a place, but in spirit and in truth. Of course, Jesus has told us that he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. So in essence, he's offering himself. He says, I am the living water. Whoever drinks of the water that I give to them, they will never thirst again. He offers her relationship with God. Secondly, he offers her relationship and restoration with herself. Some of us have a hard time forgiving ourselves when we do wrong things. We try hard to, you know, to, to, to save ourselves. This woman, I imagine she did everything she could. She tried to go. She, you know, she talks about her faith and how she worshipped on the mountain. She, in fact, challenges Jesus, says, you know, are you greater than our father Jacob? Obviously, she understood something about Scripture and the story of the patriarchs, Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and all the others. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who dug this well? So she was doing something spiritually herself on her own. But Jesus wants to offer her something better. He says, surrender to me. I will give you living waters. I'll help you find yourself. As you can see, every time you've tried it on your own, you get disappointed. And this morning, I want to, you know, in fact, encourage you. If you're here today and you've been trying to work hard on your own without God to live a perfect life, to walk a, a seamless life. And every time you encounter disappointment, you know what? Today, you can find forgiveness and hope and salvation through Jesus Christ. When I look at verse 39 through 41, I find that Jesus, in fact, restores to her her community. You see, after she had encountered Christ, she left everything and ran to the city. She left everything and went to find her community. She was no longer embarrassed by her identity because Jesus had restored it to her. She was no longer embarrassed by eyes looking at her. In fact, she took the center stage and she called everybody. She said, hey, come on now, listen to me. I met this man at the well. He's, could he be the Messiah? I met this Christ at the well. Could he be the Christ? Could he be the son of God? Could he be the one that we've been waiting for? And so we find that Jesus restores us in our relationship with God. Then he restores us to ourselves. We find our identity not in our associations, not in our relationships with, with the people around us, what others assign to us, but in him we find our safety and security. And as we stand in the firmness of that identity, we are able to engage with the world in a constructive way. For this woman, she found her purpose. The same people that had despised and looked down upon her, she went back to them with a newfound identity and confidence and speaks to them 
with the love of Jesus. She says, come, see the man that has changed my life. Come, see the one who has told me everything that I have done. Could he be the Christ? Could he be the Messiah? Notice that she doesn't tell them right away that he's a Messiah. Believe in him. She just challenges them, says, come check it out for yourselves. I think he could be the one. Come fill it out. Maybe some of us have, you know, family and friends and relatives that um, struggle. Maybe it's your chance to extend that invitation. You say, come, could this Jesus be the Messiah? Could he be the one? Come with me to the Easter service. Could he be, could Jesus be the one you're longing for and hoping for and, and seeking in your life? He has living waters. And that is what this woman does. She goes back into the city. She speaks to the city. She says, hey, could this Jesus be the one? Could he be the Messiah that we've been looking for? Jesus restores our broken relationships, even with the community that we may have, that may have had us in the past. You see, I want you to know this morning that Jesus sees you. He's Jesus. He sees you regardless of where you are, regardless of your experiences, regardless of the brokenness that you may be experiencing today. He sees you just as he saw this woman. And today he has an appointment with you. The Bible tells us that he left heaven, came down to earth, took on human flesh and human form, so that we, by his grace, we may experience eternal life. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He invites us to surrender our brokenness, our broken relationships, our broken marriages, our broken friendships, our broken ways, our broken nation, our broken city. We've seen the brokenness in this city even in the last year. You know, and by God's grace, he's, he's allowed me to preach. I preached quite a bit at 38th in Chicago in South Minneapolis. And it was amazing last summer to see the brokenness People coming from all over America, coming to that sport in South Minneapolis with their brokenness. And as I'll be preaching there, you know, it was amazing to see people surrender their lives to Jesus. And we will baptize them right there at 38th and Chicago. This Jesus wants to heal and mend our hearts and heal our brokenness. He invites us to surrender to him. You see, he says he'll cancel our sin. He will not counsel us as people. He'll counsel us. He'll counsel our sin and free us. Today, he says, is the day of salvation. I offer you living water. I offer you hope. I offer you eternal life. I offer you the grace that I alone can be able to give. The scriptures remind us that on this day, after this woman had invited the crowds and the city in, many in the city came out, they had Jesus for themselves, and they believed. And then they went back to this woman, because now her relationship had been healed. And they said, thank you for 
inviting us to hear Jesus. Not only do we believe in him because of what you told us, we believe him because of what we have heard with our own ears and have understood with our own minds and our heart. We truly believe that he is the Messiah. Jesus wants us to hear him for ourselves. Today, he says, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion But believe, say yes, I want you in my heart. I want you to change me. I want you to heal me. I want you to restore me. I surrender my life to you. I want to give you an opportunity even today as we pray to conclude this message, to give your heart to Jesus. If you haven't done so yet, you see, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He says all that come to him, he gives them eternal life. He makes you into a child of God. He transforms you and heals you and binds up your brokenness. So today is your opportunity, is a chance for you if you haven't yet received Christ as Lord. I want to ask us actually to stand on our feet right now. As we pray. And I want us just, you know, like this woman saying, you know what, Lord, give me the living water. And so I want to ask you to actually just extend your hands like this, you know, out in front of you and say, Lord, give me living water. I open my heart to you. Holy Spirit, you see the posture of our hands today. We want your living water. We want eternal life. We open ourselves to your revelation. That the sixth hour that could be an hour of great disappointment and brokenness may become an hour of encounter and power and transformation in our lives. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you may heal us and you may restore us. You may make us whole again today in the name of Jesus Christ. While our eyes are still bowed, if you are in this place today and Jesus is not Lord of your life, I want to give you opportunity to respond to his invitation. And so if you can just raise your hand straight up right now, you know that Jesus is not Savior yet of your life, but you're saying, you know what, God, I surrender to you. Just raise it up straight in the air. I want to pray with you right now. Is there anyone like that this morning? Just raise it up, straight up in the air. Anyone here today? Raise it up where I can see it. Just up straight in the air. Jesus is looking out for you. He has an appointment with you today. And he wants to reach you and touch you and transform you. If you can just pray this prayer quietly. Dear Lord Jesus... I surrender my life to you. I acknowledge I'm broken, I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. Come and live inside of me. Today, I choose you. I choose to believe you are the Messiah. So come fill me with your presence. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, whether online or in this building, 
you know, I encourage you, our, uh, we have our counselors and people available to pray with you as we conclude this service. You know, just walk to the back, tell somebody that you prayed that prayer for the first time. Maybe you didn't raise up your hand, but you know that you are praying that prayer for the first time to acknowledge Jesus as Savior. Just tell them, you know, we'll have people ready to pray with you today. But Father, thank you this morning for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you shared all of life. You laid it down on the cross for our sake. And so today we surrender to you. Fill us with yourself and lead us in the path of truth and of righteousness. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.